Hello and welcome to FuturePod. I'm Peter Hayward. FuturePod gathers voices from the international field of futures and foresight. Through a series of interviews, the founders of the field and the emerging leaders share their stories, tools and experiences. Please visit futurepod.org for further information about this podcast series. As it's over two years since we launched FuturePod, we thought it would be interesting to check in with our previous guests and see how their work and thinking may have changed since we last spoke to them. So we created a new FuturePod series called The Reinterviews. Today, we are re-interviewing Patricia Lustig and Jill Ringland. We originally interviewed Patricia in Podcast 57, A Very Practical Futurist, and Jill in Podcast 85, Blowing the Cobwebs Off Your Mind. The two of them have recently co-authored their fourth book. The book's called New Shoots, People Making Fresh Choices in a Changing World. Welcome back to FuturePod, Patricia and Jill. Thank you, Peter. Thank you. So you two have written quite a few books together, but this one's a little bit different. Why did you write this book the way you did? Well, we've been searching for ways to get more people interested in futures and foresight. It is really, really important. And we actually had the book finished Mm. in ready to go in the beginning of 2020, and then we were broadsided by the COVID pandemic. (laughs) And we had to rewrite everything because it changed everything. And it was already a book that talked about forces for change and in a way that we hoped would be interesting for people so more people would step in and, and dip a toe into the field of foresight, as it were. But rewriting it and getting feedback has made it a very different book indeed. Well, I think adding to that, the book in 2019 was a bit like our earlier book, Megatrends. It was a bit defensive. It was a bit fearful of the future. And what really changed, surprisingly, with our rethink due to COVID was the fact that actually things are changing and in a very positive way. And so it wasn't just the example of getting vaccines out within a year rather than 10 years. It's looking back and looking at uh, how, you know, limits to growth was a very pessimistic look of the view of the future, but that, in fact, most of the forecasts in limits to growth about hitting limits are, in fact, being modified because people are behaving differently. They're taking action. And the combination of technology and empowered people is something that is really surprised us in a really good way. And so a lot of the people who've been reviewing the book for us have been saying, oh, gosh, we, we are so surprised, but really it's convincing. You see new shoots. You see ways in which people are making the world a better place. And uh, this is the big aha, that we hadn't realised how much our attitude had changed over the two years. Because, of course, you know, the media are always negative. You know, if you think about COP26, uh, a lot of the headlines are, oh, they didn't solve the world. Whereas if we look at it, we go, actually... The US and China agreed to act together. Well, wow, isn't that a breakthrough? 
And so it's understanding what are the levers for change and how many things are going right that makes, I think, this book a really interesting one. Who's your audience and what are you hoping that readers are able to do in part after, after basically reading the book? Well, if I can go back just a, a little bit because of something that Jill said, which was great as a reminder, we were all, of course, in 2020, quite depressed by what was happening with the pandemic. And we made a decision that we would look and see if we could find anything, you know, what we call new shoots now. And that was part of what changed yeah. our outlook. And that's what we're hoping that readers will see. We're hoping that people see that there is hope and that there are good things happening. It's not all bad. And of course, that never, the good things don't sell papers. So they don't get, they don't really get media attention, shall we say. But we did something else that was different and that we've never done before, which is we wrote specifically for people who are not futurists and people who are millennials and Generation Z. So we had to write in a different way. We had to write more of a storyline, more of a narrative. And as Jill has said, we weren't writing such an academic book. We were writing an absolutely non-academic book with quite a storyline and a narrative going through it. Even in the chapters that were around things that are a bit difficult, like global warming, we'd had somebody give us feedback in the first read-through of the previous issue of it, if you will, who said, oh, this is so depressing, I can't bear it. And that was really one of the things that pointed us to we have to find good things that are happening. And we were just amazed at how much we could find and how difficult it was to choose the stories that we would tell. And sort of picking up on that, I think it's really important that real people can read the stories in the book and go, I could see how that could work and start looking for people they could work with to make a good things happen in their place. Because what can work in one place can work in another. And, you know, good ideas travel once they're given a little bit of feed like you feed new shoots you know a little bit of watering a little bit of light and so I think what we're hoping to do is have all these snapshots I think there's about 150 snapshots which are just little paragraphs about things that are happening in the world and we hope that anyone who reads the book will encounter two or three where they go oh I could look for that but one thing we have actually also done uh, which is a bit naughty, is that the introduction explains the layout to the book. And we say at the end of the introduction, okay, now, if you want to jump to the conclusions, that's all right too. So if you jump to the conclusions, you'll then be able to track back to the chapter you want to read because the chapters mm. are about things like mobility or population or energy choices or biology. And so not everybody's interested in all of those. And a surprising number of people have said to us, oh, that made us feel so good, giving us license to jump to the conclusions. And then now I've read, I've read four chapters now, and absolutely, they really help. 
So <laughs> we were trying to sort of engage and reach out to our readers. And uh, it's so as Tricia was saying, it's quite different from, from an academic book. I think we've got another thing that we've been toying with, which is we're kind of hoping that people will send us snapshots that they know about that we can then share on our website, you know, amplify what's going on. Mm-hmm. I mean, the ebook's out and then hardcover's coming, but are you doing more than just putting out the book and sort of, you know, hoping for emergence or are you actually planning things to do because the book's out? The first webinars we've done have been various ones with um, futurist or sympathetic audiences or, you know, old clients. But we're now branching out and we're going to do uh, a couple with the Association of uh, Strategic Planning uh, because they're people who are not futurists, but we think they ought to be much more aware of the external forces in the world because it's very easy if you're a strategic planner in an organization to sort of sit there and just look at your internal data and not realize the world's changing. So we're working quite seriously with the Association of Strategic Planners, doing journal articles for them as well as webinars and masterclasses. And um, we also have... uh, very friendly relationships with uh, Zed Yen, Long Finance, who run a series of pamphleteers. Uh, Every week they publish an article by somebody which is intended to provoke and stimulate. And we we publish with them every month or so. And so we've been doing a series of articles with them. Uh, And most of our articles get between one and 3,000 hits, which is good. And we're doing a webinar with them and that usually gets several hundred people in early December. So we're quite actively looking at neighbouring areas to futurists as a way of getting gearing. But what we haven't found, and if you have thoughts, Peter, we would be delighted, is what other things we might do. You know, people who've got an existing community that go to their webinars like Long Finance or the Association of Strategic Planning is one thing. But, uh, you know, are there other more subtle ways we should be doing things? Yeah, your thoughts welcome. Obviously, podcast and obviously anything conversational is a very attractive way. I know other people are pursuing, have you seen the RSA uh, video, which actually has has a person speaking and then they have a a person who illustrates the conversation and the video is the person talking and the picture being drawn. That mode of communicating with a spoken piece and a drawn piece um, I've seen being used in schools and that type of thing. And as I say, I think think if if you've got a narrative and then you can build it into a visual narrative as well as a spoken narrative, um, and put the two together, it, it, it's a very, very powerful way to communicate a lot of information in a very short period of time. That's a very interesting point, Peter, because we've uh, often used in workshops uh, a colleague, Joe Ravitz. He's uh, somebody who trained as an architect and uh, is a very good futurist. And he's got a very big network And working with him on a couple of joint uh, drawing and 
uh, speaking events would be really interesting. That's that's a really useful thought. Thank you. I was going to say that we've we've thought through having some, and and even partially developed that for the um, strategic planning society some webinar type workshops where we get people thinking really deeply about one or the other of the forces for change and how they would be affected by it in their business or their organization or even Mm. on a personal level. So that's something where we would hope to be paid for that that might be something that came out of the book. One of the things I think is singular about the work we do is the way we have conversations. We don't have conversations necessarily as experts knowing what's going to happen, but we have, I think, what you would call exploratory or generative conversations around change. Mm -hmm. So it's not about trying to nail down what's going to happen, but actually explore, well, what if and how could and what would that lead to and what could be a counter trend? I mean, that that notion of talking and moving, I think if it's a modelled conversation with a number of people bouncing ideas off one another based on some of your topics, I think that type of thing that um, educates ways to talk through these changes. Yes, I I absolutely agree that, um, I mean, there are a lot of futurists, to name no names, who give brilliant talks, and at the end of it, people turn to each other and go, well, yeah, um, what, it was all brilliant. Isn't he a brilliant person? But I haven't actually engaged with any of it. Whereas if you, and uh, yeah. as Richard says, with the strategic planners and also the professional future, we're explicitly designing these events so that people have breakouts and we pose a question and people get a quarter of an hour in a group of half a dozen people to talk about the question, which may be, you know, how has COVID affected you? Or it may be what signs of hope do you see? Or it may be around, um, you know, what does mobility mean to you? You know, as you say, just teasing out so that people get a chance to think out loud and, and relate to each other, because that's how people learn. You know, I, I think it's a sort of classic analysis of teaching styles you know the least effective teaching style is being talked at the most (laughs) effective teaching style is explaining something to somebody else you know and I think there's three or four ranks in between and we're trying to get to the most effective so that people actually engage Uh, we're hoping that that will help the movement as it were and we are I would say experts in good questions So we ask questions that really yeah, get people going. Work. Yes, indeed. And surprising. People are surprised. Of all the little stories that you found and you and you searched for, were there any that you would say you were genuinely delighted or surprised by? I was wondering about our friend, the Nobel Prize winner, who started out helping uh, ladies in Kenya plant trees and found that she ended up running a whole uh, movement that re-established democracy in Kenya. Wow. <laughs> that was amazing. I mean, that's, that's nice, you know. <laughs> okay. She's, she's got a PhD. She's a, a, you know, a formidable lady. She got a Nobel Prize for it in the end. But it started from small, 
small things and people thinking yes and. And I think, you know, maybe our attitude is yes and. And I don't know whether you've got a, a favorite story, Tricia, anyone that you like? That was my favorite, Jill. <laughs> that was my favorite. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I was going to tell the one about uh, during, which is a little bit old, but during the earthquake in Nepal in 2015, there was a group of millennial generation Z people who just got stuck in and did it. And they, they had a headquarters in in Patan in Kathmandu, and they got together with people all around the world to build maps so they could see where problems were, to find out where supplies were, to get the supplies to people. And they just did it. It was amazing. And it's been written up in several places. And that's always one that takes my breath away. I think it's a nice one, isn't it? Because it's an example of Gen Z and millennials just thinking globally and how to tackle things. So it's got the two themes. It's got just using technology to empower and making decisions to do things, which is a really nice yes and. How you want to wrap up your experience in the book, what you're hoping to do with the book and the engagement with the book, and then lastly, what you might ask in, invite listeners to the podcast to do? Well, I hope people read it and I hope they get ideas of things they could do, maybe mixing and matching because something that works one place may not work in another. I hope we get action out of it. But I, I, I think the most important thing, because times are not easy today, is that people read it and see the hope and actually spread some of it around. For some reason, hope is more difficult to spread than doom and gloom. I hmm. uh, Yes, and uh, I think uh, it's, it's also reaching new audiences, people who are not used to this style of thinking. So futurists do think about global forces. But I asked a, a friend of mine who was at Stanford Business School with me, who's a, a very dour accountant, whether he'd read the book. And he went, oh, Joe. So anyway, he, he he got back to me after about a week and he said, I did my homework. It was fascinating. I'd never realized that population demographics were changing and that's got so many implications. And that's an aha for me, that he is now sensitized to the fact that the world is changing. And, you know, he sits on boards, he's all, all out and about. He's going to be better informed. It's not a big deal. Maybe he talks to 100 people in a week, but, you know, he's got extra information. He's got an extra perspective. And, yes, if we can keep replicating that, that that's what I want to do. Absolutely. And we should we should make the point that in each and every chapter, we tried to find things that would make people sit up and go, oh, I didn't know that. Aha. Mm, yes, indeed. Well, hopefully this podcast will be a little aha and get people interested to to chase the book up. But on behalf of FuturePod listeners, um, thanks, congratulations to the two of you for the book and thanks for coming on and having a chat about it. You're most welcome, Peter. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity, Peter. Really always good to talk. This has been another production from FuturePod. 
FuturePod is a not-for-profit venture. We exist through the generosity of our supporters. If you would like to support FuturePod, go to the Patreon link on our website. Thank you for listening. Remember to follow us on Instagram and Facebook. This is Peter Hayward saying goodbye for now.